This is Matt Woodley with PreachingToday.com from Christianity Today on Monday Morning Preacher. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Yancey Arrington, the teaching pastor of Clear Creek Community Church in Houston and the author of Preaching That Moves People. Yancey, great to have you here today. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. So we want to talk to you about preaching, and we especially want to talk to you about a recent sermon that you gave and just get some uh, insights into that, how you put it together. Um, so you preached a, a sermon recently on Psalm 46, and it was uh, part of a series on hope. Um, tell us about the series to begin with. Give us a little context for the series, what you did and why you did it. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it probably would help uh, your listeners to understand that the context also not of just a series, but how kind of our church is structured. So um, we do uh, team teaching, which is primarily between our senior pastor and myself. I've been there 20 years. Our church is only 25 years old, so I've been there for the bulk of it. And we've just been committed early on uh, to kind of a rotation between uh, the, the lead pastor and myself. Uh, you know, if we were to kind of divvy it up, it's roughly 50-50. I, I generally each year preach a little more than he does, and that's just how we've done it. So uh, he and I usually put together a sermon series. I'm, I'm over kind of the sermon and the preaching uh, purview of our church and our leadership. And so uh, he and I got to talking about, let's, we, especially kind of where the climate is with the nation and, and everything with that, we just felt like it would be helpful for our church to do a series on hope. And so I kind of uh, pitched the idea of, Let's just let's think about uh, the gospel in a more of a biblical theology kind of way. Let's look at the past and the present and the future and kind of use that as the mental model for this whole series. So let's just do a, a three-week series where we look back to the past, uh, not just in Scripture, but in our own lives about who God has been for us in Christ. Let's have a sermon about the present, which is the one we're going to talk about, the one I worked on, uh, how we look around the present. And then the week after this sermon that we're talking about, the week after my sermon, uh, we had one called Let's Look Out to the Future. Where we're talking about the, the second advent of Jesus. And so that was the structure, pretty straightforward. And so uh, when we do that, we, we kind of divvy those up. I took the middle sermon, which meant I was going to deal around looking around for hope in the present. Okay, great. Thanks for the context. Uh, okay. So in your book preaching that moves people which i read Thank and you. i really liked it Thank and you. that's why you're on this podcast so i appreciate that if i, I didn't like that. it we wouldn't have called you you know you wouldn't be on this podcast but anyway <laughs> no pressure no pressure i'm ready <laughs> no it's a really good book it moved me so it was Thank a you. book that moved me so you talk about you have a chapter on people-centered preaching yeah. um the when i looked at the table of content contents and I saw that it jarred me a little bit I thought oh wait a minute I thought we were all about God-centered preaching so tell us what what is uh people-centered preaching what does that mean what does that not mean yeah yeah no it's always it's been that that chapter and those statements are really fun especially when uh the bulk of your critics uh, in it have been from like preaching professors uh in in the seminary deal which uh, which I say that I really haven't had much critique at all I've had a couple of critiques just on that phrase from a couple of professors they didn't like it. I think they got it, though. They just wanted me to change it to something that didn't say people-centered. Is It's like you can't use that word at all. I, here, here's what I talk about, Matt. I, to me, uh, I'm just referring to the delivery style that Jesus and Paul and almost everyone else I can see in Scripture used. It never has to do with the content. So I think yeah. I say pretty clearly in the Scripture, uh, excuse me, not just in the Scripture, but in my book I've written, uh, Christ is the content. Uh, 
you know, it, I want a redemptive content, Christ-centered content in our preaching. But I do think uh, that delivery is people-centered. Uh, when you look at Paul at Mars Hill, yeah. uh, you look at Jesus's use of the parables. He's using just kind of images and slices of life from the people that he's speaking to. Uh, so uh, that that was simply my attempt to. I, I think what happens to a lot of guys is uh, they they get out of seminary, and I'm not anti-seminary. I'm pro-seminary. I mean, I've, I've got a master's and a doctorate, uh, both from seminaries. So I have a high esteem for seminaries. I'm glad that we have them. But it seems like for many guys, uh, when they come out uh, of seminary, they have a very technical way uh, to, to preach that feels very professorial. It, it, mm. it's, it's articulate. It exp it's high on explanation. But I'm not too sure it's high on inspiration or high on being emotionally intelligent. And so um, I, I think one of the ways that we can have more emotionally intelligent sermons is to have people-centered sermons in the sense that they're people-centered delivery. That, that's that's essentially it. It's yeah. just thinking about what's the best way. I mean, really great preachers, they do this intuitively. Uh, this is just how they think. I, I'm trying to help guys that maybe don't see it as intuitively just to think about, hey, the way you put together that sermon, if you're thinking of your listener, might change uh, just by thinking about how they could receive this best. So it's not like uh, abandoning the truth or selling out or, you know, Timothy's, you know, scratching, itching ears right. kind of a deal. Uh, it's simply being aware of who you're speaking to and trying to hit them in a way that, uh, that you best can. That's it. Yeah, that's a great definition. So you also talk about <clears throat> arranging the sermon for tension, yeah. which I thought was, uh, that is worth the price of the book. Um, oh. And uh, there's other great stuff in the book too, but I just love that content, that concept. So, Tell people um, what what do you mean by arranging for tension, and then I'll I'll ask you about how you did that in this sermon. But just sure. to, to just explain the concept to people. What does that mean? Yeah. So uh, to me, I, I've probably borrowed a lot of this from the idea of story. Any story that's worth listening to, and I don't think just uh, an audio book or a story from a movie. Think of a plot. Uh, obviously, ones that you read. All of them have tension in them, and the reason they have tension in them is because uh, tension equals attention. Uh, you're, you're trying to, to draw people in. Uh, in fact, I would argue that the Bible really is written with tension in it from about Genesis 3 on. Mm. Uh, so uh, I, sermons should do the same if they can, and I think they can. And so what, what I try to tell people is when I, when I talk about arrange for tension, here's what I'm convinced of. And to me, I'm no genius, but if there was ever a genius thought in my book, to me it's this one. I'm convinced that pastors don't have to write anything more to the sermons that they have. They just need to arrange what they have differently yeah. in order to, to maximize the tension of the sermon, in order to let people lean in in, in, in engagement instead of leaning back disengaged. And it's, uh, I mean, I, I do uh, coach guys on preaching, and I've led seminars on this as well. And what is kind of the aha moment for a lot of these guys is, look, let's just take the segments of your sermon and look at them kind of from a 10,000-foot view. And let's just see, if we just if we just move this story here, this illustration there, this point here, how just re, rework that and see how it feels. And, I mean, 10 times out of 10 it, it, 10, it feels like those guys are like, it's like a completely different sermon. And I'm like, and yeah, you didn't do one thing to it except moved it with tension. So what, what a lot of guys do, and again, golly, it sounds like I'm dogging seminary. I'm really not. Um, but one of the things that's kind of a maxim for a lot of young preachers and old ones is this idea that you, you tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and tell them what you told them. Like, here's how you ought to preach. 
I'm going to tell you today, guys, here's the main point, and then I'm going to say the main point in the sermon, and then I'm going to review the main point when I'm done. And for me, there is nothing more boring than that kind of whoever does that in the world. I mean, mm -hmm. what, what story, what movie, what tale, what novel, what song, none of that does that. So uh, that doesn't mean you can't do it. It just seems like, wow, when you look at really engaging content, and if Jesus is engaging, and I think he is, um, surely when I talk and teach about him, I, I should arrange my sermon in such a way where I'm maximizing uh, not just the goodness of who he is, but the tension that he solves. And so a lot of guys will do this because they have a technical way to do a sermon is they tell the answers at all the beginning. Like, here's what I want you to hope. I hope you get this today. Uh, and then here's the seven points or five points or three points why you ought to believe what I just said. Well, to me, it's kind of like, why should I listen to you now? I mean, all you're doing is reaffirming your main principle. Why not just say, hey, let's journey this together and we'll discover it until, you know, maybe closer towards the end. Here's why what I'm about to say is real. Yeah. For me, Matt, uh, again, I, I diagram this way more in the book than just you and I on a podcast. But I think that it's just um, it will take people sermons from what they might feel is OK to really, really great. Uh, and they don't do a thing to it, but move things around looking for tension. So um, I, I always tell my guys, where's the tension in the sermon? Yeah. And how, how have you how have you pushed the tension down in the message instead of alleviating it? So, you know, I, we, you and I talked a little bit earlier before we got on this podcast. I'm a I'm a sports fan. Uh, baseball is one of my favorite sports. Uh, shout out to the Houston Astros, by the way, uh, since I'm a Houstonian here. Uh, we'll get it next okay. year, boys. Next year, boys. Next year. Um <laughs> Andrew, but, make sure we cut that out of the yeah, yeah, exactly. when we edit this. It, it may be a prophecy, so you might want to keep it in. <laughs> okay. uh, just, but if it's not, we, we know what happens. Those guys will mess it up. So I'll just let's edit, let's redact that. Um, so like really good pitchers never show the grip on the ball uh, until the last moment mm. because they're trying to surprise the hitter. And I sometimes, I'm, in a sense, I'm trying to surprise or keep my my parishioner not guessing but wondering wh where is this going not in a kind of like he's lost but like i really want to know what this answer is he's worked this whole time to give me an answer i'm really wanting to lean in instead of saying hey guys here's my sermon today here's the answer now can you hang on with me for 30 minutes while i bore you with the details of why my answer is true uh-huh that that to me is just you're 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 the professor trying to explain something instead of the the pastor trying to shepherd me down the mountain uh, from one spot to another, which is uh, so. I've, obviously, I've, I've talked a little too long about this. This is what I'm passionate about. No, I, I'm a believer. I've I've actually the last couple sermons I've preached, I've tried to keep. I've had Yancey in my head a little bit. You know, it's like <laughs> where's sorry. the tension? No, it was yeah. really good, and it it actually I think it really helps. So let's look at a specific example. Your sermon on Psalm uh, 46 yeah. on the power of hope. So yeah. how did you build? Uh, tension into this sermon yeah so so uh again the context is my main text for preaching psalm 46 it's a psalm and where we're uh israel is called to find their hope uh in the lord and they find their hope in the lord because they believe that he's present with them uh specifically because the temple's there okay so that's kind of the textual detail so as I'm walking through this sermon, what I'm trying to do is I, I open up by trying to tell people how powerful hope is. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I try to do is uh, often I want to get into the world of the secular uh, because I want my listener to understand I know them, I get them. I'm not some guy that sits on a, uh, on a post somewhere, some kind of mystic. I'm just a regular guy that, that understands 
the world they live in. And so often, I think in this message, uh, you know, I, I talk about how hope impacts people. It, it impacts the elderly. You know, those who who feel hopeless die at a quicker rate than those who, who feel hopeful. Uh, athletes perform better when they're hopeful. Uh, you know, so on and so forth. And so, again, I'm thinking emotionally, Matt. I'm wanting the listener to go, yeah, that's hope really is a powerful thing. Uh, and then I, I bring tension right away. My second movement, which is really early on in my sermon, yep. I mean, probably six minutes in, if not sooner, is I talk about the hopeless world that we live in. Uh, I talk about some people find themselves in the throes of divorce. Uh, others struggle with uh, kids who have addictions or forms of rebellion. Uh, the people that have chronic illness. And, and that's that's after I've talked about how messed up our world seems to be now with climate change and famines and a broken government that yeah. everyone would agree with. So uh, I'm not trying to depress anyone there, really. I, I am trying to bring the tension of, oh, yeah, this is the world I live in. And so, uh, again, emotionally, I'm trying to connect with, uh, trying to bring people to probably a lower place on what I call emotional bandwidth, leave them a little low. So they'll go, uh, man, uh, do I find myself as one of these people? Do I struggle with these kinds of things? And so that's why I, I, you know, I asked the question at that point, hey, where, where do you guys find your hope in? And so I'm not done with tension. In fact, I'm going to add on tension. Uh, I, I have no fear about that. It's probably more of my, I'm a, I talk about the, the four uh, personalities of preaching uh, in my book. Uh, one of them is the prophet. Uh, that's my style. Mm. So I, 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 I tend to run to tension anyhow. So it's probably a lot more intuitive for me maybe than for others. But uh, once I talk about um, the kind of, things that can make us hopeless, I, I just asked the question, where do we find our hope in? And you'd think I'd say at this point, it should be Jesus. But no, yeah. I say, uh, I really talk about the false dawn of, uh, of false hopes. And so I'll say, you know, some people, uh, I'll, I'll just use different areas to talk about where people find hope. Now, here's what I've tried to do, because I'm, I'm trying to be a good missiologist in my preaching. I try to find the idols. I, now, uh, I live in a, I technically live in a town called League City which is uh, the yeah. outer suburb area of the uh, southeastern core of Greater Houston. And so I live in what's known as a suburb. We're right next to NASA Space Center. And so when I try to talk about to people, all right, what have you put your hope in? I'm trying to, uh, uh, maybe what I, what I know to be false hopes, they don't know that yet. I'm starting to raise the hopes that I see in the area around me. So I'm looking at the suburban hopes, mm -hmm. which the suburban hopes tend to be marriage. They tend to be money. Uh, we live in a, an area that's pretty uh, activity conscious, a lot of sports, a lot of health. And so uh, I walk them through like some of you guys are putting your hope in, uh, in your marriage. And I, I kind of deflate the balloon. Oh, well, we all know that marriage can sometimes be a, a hard thing. And I, I try to bring humor in there because I know I'm getting a little tough. I mean, I'm trying to be emotionally aware of where I'm going. So I think I joked in there a little bit about, you know, if you want to know how hard it is to get married, you know, get married. And uh and I, you know, saying it here wasn't funny, but the way I did it in the sermon brought a little bit of relief. Uh, talk about money. Uh, you know, in suburbia, we tend to want to just accrue stuff. And so I'm like, some of you guys have a lot of hope in getting stuff. And so then I deflate that by saying, you know what, how many of you have seen someone that's had the whole world, and but they don't know their family? Uh, so uh, I just walked through those things. And uh, so really what I'm trying to do there is, is help people understand, like, oh, my gosh, I'm placing my hope in those things, and I'm seeing them run their course. So I, I'm still adding tension. Uh, and so what I do there is after that, I, I ask a question. I simply say, hey, where is your hope placed then? Mm -hmm. Like, where are you really placing your hope? And um, and so at, at this point, which is kind of contrary to how I usually would do it, I, I do kind of give an answer. What I say is I, for followers of Jesus, 
and I, I recognize when I preach that there's there's unchurched people in the room, so I'm very careful about the language I use. I, I, you know, if you would, if people were to hear this sermon, which they can, um, they'll they'll note that every once in a while, or constantly, if you will, periodically, I should say, peppered throughout my sermon, I'm I'm constantly defining words for people. Like I'll say, you know, this means the church, or you know, when we say the Word of God, that means the Bible for us. That's what. So, because I understand there's we're in a post-Christian world. Uh, preachers way overestimate how much their people know. Uh, and even the Christians, sadly, uh, we overestimate how much they know about the terms that we use. So um, what, what I simply said is, uh, at this point, once I hopefully got people to a place of, man, I really need to know the kind of hope I need to have, I simply say, all right, at this point, we need to find our hope in God. But what does that look like? So I'm, I still haven't really given an answer until I get to the end of my message. So I'm, I'm setting them up just so we can get into yeah. Psalm 46. Sorry, man, I know it's a long answer. I'm, no, I'm just trying to walk. Yeah, so you, uh, on the top of page three of your manuscript, you you do seem to pull out a really uh, clear, big idea. And let me just read it. That's why the call for followers of Jesus is to find our hope anchored in God and him alone. Yeah. So, boom. Yeah. Um, so there's your big idea. Um, so... You know, um, by the way, Haddon Robinson, um, I read an interview with him later in his career, and he was, he was talking about the inductive sermon where, yeah. you know, you, you save the actual, the big idea till the end. Um, yeah. you, you work into it rather than just state it and then explain yeah. it. And he was talking about how just he was finding more and more strengths to that approach. Not that it's either or. So sure. anyway, this seems like a little bit almost like a hybrid between a deductive and inductive. I mean, uh, is, is that true or, or what, how would you define that? You know, here's what's here's what's funny and it's somewhat embarrassing. Uh, I, I actually my sermons, they run the gamut on oh, the I continuum uh, because I don't feel committed to one style or another. I, I feel committed to effectiveness. And so mm. uh, but you're Matt, you're very adept. You obviously know how to break down someone's sermon because this is more of a hybrid. So I, I do introduce a truth early on. I, I tend to, I, I really gravitate. It's funny because many in my, the tribe that I come from, I don't, I don't know if they would celebrate or, or uh, denigrate the guy. I, I really appreciate Andy Stanley stuff on uh, communication. I, I, there's so much good stuff that he has. Don't agree with everything that he's ever done, but I really like what he says uh, about more like a phrase that pays. And so what's funny is I introduce a truth early on or I say early on, it's probably uh, maybe a third of the way into my sermon. What I'm really trying to get at more is a phrase that I want people to hold on to, which is uh, I'll, I'll later talk about once I've exposited Psalm 46, uh, because you're right, the call for followers of Jesus is to find their hope in, uh, is to find their hope in God that's anchored in Christ uh, and Him alone. But really what I'm hoping people <clears throat> remember is that the way that that happens is that God is present in your presence. He's present in your present. He's present in your present. He's present mm. in your present. So I'm trying to hammer uh, that truth continually all the time. He's present in your present. So um, I, I introduced that probably midway, and I keep coming back to it. And, and Andy Stanley, uh, probably contrary to Haddon Robinson, it would be like get it up early. I mean, he does his like at the start. I, I've done that before, but I've also liked Haddon Robinson. I've done it at the end. I'm just trying to think what's most effective. Yeah. So for me, it's like for this sermon in particular was I'm going to introduce it now. Uh, there have been times where I've reviewed my sermon like, nah, you know, hold back, ants, hold it, let's keep it down a little earlier. And there's other been uh, later, and there's other times where I've heard I preach where I thought, nah, bring it up earlier. So for me, it's a feel thing, which is um, that's probably how I, a lot of my preaching is. It's sure. very 
So it's probably not helpful, but that's the truth. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the exposition of the text because okay, sure, you yeah. do you definitely exposit it. You start from verse one, and you walk people through the text, just kind of uh, piece by piece. Yeah. Psalm forty-six is what is it? Ten verses, eleven verses, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But you walk through every verse, so this is not. We're not talking about a non-expository approach to preaching. It's right. very expositional. But so, how do you do the uh, how do you do the exposition usually? Yeah, so what I usually do is uh, I'll take that text early in the week, uh, usually on a Monday. Sometimes I'll cheat it. I'll do it on a Sunday night if I feel like I have a lot of text, and it's pretty old school. I'll just I'll cut and paste it from my favorite uh, web browser. Uh, for me, it's, it's usually Bible Gateway. I know everyone's got their favorite. I've, I've just been using it so long, I like it. So I'll take, uh, I, I preach from the ESV, so I'll, I'll uh, dot it up, ESV, Psalm 46, I'll uh, cut and paste it into a Word document. I'll, I'll move uh, half of that over. So it's basically I have a column on mm -hmm. uh, of the text on one side. The other half is open space, and I just, I'm working the text. And so I don't know if, if we need to talk about this or not. I, I hope this is helpful. But Oh, yeah, yeah, keep okay, going. Okay, so technically here's what I do. So I, I do that in every text. Uh, so I'm in Psalm 46. If I'd have had it with me, I could show it to you. But I... I'm, I'm just doing a Bible study for me. So I'm, I'm circling through the text. I'm making notes. I don't want to open up a commentary at all. I don't want to hear someone who's preached Psalm 46. I don't want to read someone who's, you know, used Psalm 46. I don't want to be influenced at all uh, to this point directly, although I know I've been influenced up to this point just with my, my education. So yeah. doing the work, uh, then I'll do some commentary work. Uh, and I'm, I'm basically trying to piece out what's the main idea of this text. Um, and, and I don't, some would say that the main idea of your text ought to be the main idea of your sermon. I, I don't necessarily believe that in the way I define it. I, the, the main idea of the text as Psalm 46 is, um, that we can have, Israel can have hope because they're confident that, that God rests with them in the present because of the temple. Well, I, that's huh. not, a, that's not a truth I would preach to my people who live in the True. new covenant. So, um, so I, I'm not a big like, well, the main idea of the text has to be the main idea of your sermon. Well, no, the main idea of your sermon could be the application of the main idea of your text. Yeah. So the main idea of my sermon is uh, remember the good gifts God gives us to remind us that he is present in our present, primarily, chiefly through the gifts of the gospel. That's my that's my main idea. So, um, so uh, I work through all that stuff. Uh, when I preach, I tend to like to walk verse by verse. I don't skip around. I like right. to walk through that. Uh, sometimes I want to break it down. Other times... I feel like the I want people to feel the emotion of a certain text, so I read it straight through and kind of summarize. Um, and then usually, almost always, if because I'm, I'm a teacher, uh, if there are hard words or things in there that I think people won't understand, I have to stop and break those down for them because I want them to be able at some point in the future to open up Psalm 46 and, and not just remember my sermon. Mm. I think that would be awesome, uh, but more so that they're confident that they can read that text and understand it better next time. Yeah, yeah, that's so, really good. So you come, uh, one of your last moves is the love of God in Christ. So yeah. <clears throat> how do you get, how did you get from Psalm 46 to Jesus? Well, you know, I, so for what I did is, is Psalm 46, again, let me just kind of reiterate, the hope, we have hope because God's present in our present via the temple, all right? That's awesome. Well, for me, uh, what, what I said from that is, all right, so how did, how did Israel find hope in the present? They don't, they don't recall God's prior deeds, which they've done before. And that's all throughout the Psalms, yeah. the, 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 the Red Sea, Moses. But um, they're now specifically talking about 
we can have hope because they have pagan nations around them seeking to destroy them. We can have hope now because God's with us. And so all I'm simply trying to do is to say, well, as New Testament, as New Covenant Christians, we have God with us as well, uh, specifically through the gospel. And so as as they look towards, uh, as Israel looked towards the temple as God being present in the present, how do we today look toward uh, God being present in our present? Well, it's, it's, it's through the gifts of the gospel. And so I walk through uh, three that are really leading up to the fourth one: uh, word, uh, spirit, and church. That's that's man. That you can't get more traditional than word, spirit, and church. I mean, these are, you know, sacramental almost. Uh, in, in some respects, they are with word, spirit, obviously, and church. What I'm trying to do there, Matt, is um, I'm not just trying to talk about those in, in a general sense. I'm actually trying to talk about the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and the church as it relates to showing us Jesus. The presence of Jesus, and so I talk about the Word is the is the voice of our King Jesus. Uh, the Spirit's job is to illumine us to the text that shows us the Word. He he he. Uh, the Spirit allows me and generates within me uh, uh, eyes to see and a heart to to listen to the words of my King. And in fact, uh, there'll be times as I'm talking through those points where I'm I'm somewhat digressing to hit. Uh, pastorally for my people, like I want them to know, like the reason Yancey Arrington has hope in hard times is not the strength of his faith. It's the strength of the object of his faith. It's mm -hmm. Jesus for me. So, uh, and I'm doing all of that, Matt, to, to build the case. Uh, and when I get to church, I should say, just to complete the thought, uh, I'm talking about it is the body of Christ. This is how Jesus is present with us. Uh, and I'm, I'm using kind of supporting text for that. I do all that uh, to try to get to kind of a main idea slash metaphor of uh, coming at home at night, uh, where I've got three boys and when they were young, and we were irresponsible parents. We'd leave them at home to fend for themselves. And uh, my wife and I were doing something. And when we would, when I would come home, I would, and I, I mean, I'm thinking I'm making a racket by raising up the garage door and throwing my jacket on the sofa and you know whatever. Uh, and and my kids would come down, or one of them would come down. And I'm like, Dad, man, we were freaking out. We didn't know, who, you know, you were here. We've been scared this whole time because it was kind of, it was during that time where it was thundering and lightning, I should say. And, uh, and I would just say, well, you know, guys, I've been here for like two hours. I mean, you not see the light on over here? And, you know, I would just point to objects in the house that yeah. showed presence. So I was using that kind of as a main idea to say, hey, when, when we, if we're ever scared because of the storms that are in our life that cause us to despair and, and lose hope, uh, God has given us some things, if you will, around the house to remind us that he's present in our presence. Not the temple, but it's Jesus through his word. I mean, there's a yeah. Bible over there. There's a... There's the church that we're a part of. There's the spirit. But all of that's coming to the crescendo, ultimately, in the love of God that we find in Jesus. And so all those are just kind of gifts that point to us the greatness of Jesus. My sermon is trying to rush towards this. Uh, you know, sometimes you think the pinnacle's at the middle of the message, and then it's kind of going down to, you know, what, what writers would call, the I think, the denouement. Yeah. Uh, not for what I want to do. I want to, I want to bring it up at the end, at least with this sermon. And I, I want them to find this— the, kind of, if you will, the crescendo of this whole journey, uh, apexing, you know, apogee inning uh, in, in the love of God in Christ. And so I'm, I'm talking about God's steadfast love and, and walking people through that because ultimately that is how God is present today in our presence. Uh, his presence is through the love of God that we have in Christ. And so I'm trying to remind our, yeah. our so, so if you will, Matt, kind of big picture, I'm trying to walk people in a journey, not just read a Bible story to them or even just exposit. I want to use all of those things to walk them on a journey down a mountain that says, all right, uh, we need hope. Uh, the hope that we often go for doesn't satisfy, and there's a reason for that. God wants us to have hope. 
but I'm still drawing tension all the way at the bottom of you. You know, if you think of a sermon as a mountain that you're going down, and that's the kind of main metaphor I use in my book, even at the bottom, I still have tension. Because what I want to say is the, the reason, and, and some of this isn't in my manuscript, this is just me kind of feeling the moment where I'll drop out and say, drop out of the manuscript. Because I don't use a manuscript when I preach, by the way. I, mm. I, use, a, I use a redacted outline, which is still pretty thick. So, I, you know, it's, it's still a lot there. But I, even at the end of my sermon, I'm telling people, uh, listen, if you're mad at God because you feel like you didn't show up in your life uh, in a very hopeless time, uh, did you have a Bible around? Did, were you a part of his local church? Did you still have God's spirit in you? And ultimately, has God given you his love in Christ to make you forever secure and restoring your identity in him? Uh, you know, it's why would you be mad when he was present in the room the whole time? Now, part of that is not to dig or to make people guilty, but it's just to, it's just to, to tweak a little more tension in there to go, you know what? Yeah, that's probably true. I'm, I'm probably... Some of the people in my church may be mad at God because they felt like he wasn't there when the truth is he's been there the whole time. We just didn't lean into him. Mm. Uh, that's not to beat them up, uh, and I'm right. very careful about how I say it, but it is to make them go, you know what? Um, maybe I'm the one that's blown this up. Like, maybe Jesus has reached out to me, and I'm, I've just not responded. So that's how I kind of work through I mean, to me, that feels like almost the whole sermon. I'm sure your podcaster's like, golly, why don't you just pull out the sermon? It would have been quicker. <laughs> no, um, you're walking us through how you did it. But that's how I did it. And so in the, yeah. the very, the, my last my last line is, I, I quote uh, Psalm 33, which is really a song. I mean, they're all yeah. songs and prayers. But I, I loved it because it, it I'm going somewhat, it's, it's a little bit of a bookend because I'm going back to the nation of Israel. And all they're doing, man, they're just singing about the steadfast love of Yahweh, the right. steadfast love, the steadfast love. And, and so I've, I've hopefully tried to connect um, the new covenant truth of Jesus, the, the, the way God steadfastly loves us um, is through Jesus. And there's so many texts I want to use. You know, part of the problem when you preach is you'll use the text the week before or your, your partner that you preach with uses the text. Like you use Romans 8, which is you know, the classic, if God be for us, who's against us. You know, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which would have been perfect for this one. Uh, the problem was he used it, and I didn't want to use it again, So, I, sure. you know, which was fine because the challenge was let's, let's get some other text. I love the psalm because it, it takes us back uh, into uh, another, another text of the psalms. Where we, they're singing that. So I just got to leave with my people, hey, Israel sang that. The question is, will you sing it? Yeah. Will that be your song? The truth is it should be. Why? God's present in our present. Don't forget the gifts. Mm. So the, the, the really, the, I think as Brian Chappell would say, the fallen condition focus uh, you know, where's the sin in this on our part that we need Christ to heal is we far too often forget the good gifts of God's presence in our life, the presence of the goodness of the gospel. And I was just yeah. trying to remind people that. So hopefully they're leaving out with hope. They're leaving yeah. encouraged. And uh, not all sermons are like that, but that was right. the intent of it. Right. You said, uh, I think it was in your book, you said that uh, preaching has not come easy for you or mm -hmm. something to that effect. So. Uh, what's been the hardest thing, or what have been the, a couple of the hardest things for you about just learning and growing and uh, developing as a, a preacher? Yeah, I, that's such a good question, Matt. I don't know how it is for your story, but for, for mine, and I think for a lot of guys, my hardest thing for me was to find my own voice. Mm, right. Um, I mean, it, it was such a such a big deal for me that I, I mean, the there's a, I, I devote a, quite a bit of time to finding your voice in the book. In fact, I mean, for, for guys that listen, I mean, not a plug, but if, if, if you want some tools to try to help you find your voice, see, here's what I, I'm convinced of. I'm convinced so many guys are just, they're just spinning their wheels in the pulpit trying to be someone else. 
because they get enamored with, and, and we all have, uh, not idols, if you will, we have uh, guys that are models for us. I mean, I, some of my heroes of the faith uh, were, you know, as far as preaching, I mean, my love for expositional preaching came from John MacArthur. I used to listen to Grace. Do you remember those things called cassettes? Yeah. I know you did that. We, uh, we did some those. Of us, yeah. Some of us old school dogs, uh, you know, I would I would listen to his Grace to You ministry stuff, and it's like this guy's preaching verse by verse in the Bible. I didn't, I never really had that, um, although I, I loved my church where I came from. Uh, I, I mean, uh, John Piper's been an influence, yada yada yada. And so, but what I found out was often those guys were, I was kind of, I wasn't stealing from them. I was letting them influence me too much. Yeah. And then when I came to a church at Clear Creek Community Church here in Houston. Our senior pastor, a guy named Bruce Wesley, uh, man, Bruce is so good at what he does that I, I would I would sit in the in the uh, sanctuary and I'd listen to him preach the week before I would preach. I'm like, gosh, this is good. And notice how he crafts his introductions and wow, he knows how to string out uh, situations in life. I don't do that well. I need to work on that. And what I what I tend to do is work on things that I wasn't good at instead of sharpening what I was good at. But I didn't know what I was good at, and mm. so um, I it just took me it took me ten years probably. To find my voice and so I, I try to help guys like Kim let's just cut that down by half um, you know don't don't spend a decade trying to find your voice because I think once you do man uh, you're on the road to preaching in a way that moves people because you're just at ease to be yourself some of that's just age but a lot right. of it is um, when, when, when does something move from a model to an idol and so I just got tired of trying to be someone's a poor imitation of someone else and just be like no right. I just need God's good Yancey and and that's paid off yeah <laughs> Uh, my, or uh, I think it's I also mean, the sin of envy. You know, it really oh, is. Oh, that's true. It's oh, yeah. it's really it's there's admiration and then there's envy. Like Absolutely. I wish I could be so and so. And sometimes it's not even the preaching that they're envious of. They're envious of the big church that exactly. they got. Exactly. Yeah. Like so it's no, it's insidious. I I just tried to. You asked the question, what's the biggest deal? That's the biggest one. Is is really just getting comfortable with me and. Uh, and so I've, I've really tried to work hard to do that. I really try to help other guys do that. I really, I, I'm telling you, I, I was, uh, oh gosh, the name, it's Brooks, uh, oh, the name just, uh, I'm missing it. But he said, preaching is truth communicated through personality. Um, uh, forgive me for the lack of the reference here, but Phillips, I really. Philip Phillips yeah. Brooks, I think, yeah, or Phillips something Brooks. like that. Yeah. That's, no, that's it. That's it. Phillips yeah. Brooks. Good memory. No, I, I think that's true. And so I, guys ought to figure out what kind of personality they have. And they start. They should start leveraging that in the pulpit instead of trying to leave it out of the pulpit. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's really that's, good. That Thanks. Thanks for that word. Uh, let's see, Andrew. Anything else? I think we covered it all. I could, yeah. So uh, let me do the conclusion, and then I want to talk to you about uh, just what you're reading these days. But sure. We'll, uh, what do you want for reading also? Should we do that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, so I was on your blog, and I was looking at your favorite books of 2018. Oh man! And you're like you're like me in that um, I got some advice early in my ministry from Dr. C. Philip Heinerman at Come Park on. Avenue United Methodist Church in South uh, South Minneapolis, who said, "Just if you're going to be a good preacher, read broadly, read widely, um, wow. not just theology, but I mean, read theology, read books on the Bible, sure. but yeah. but read literature, you know, read philosophy, read science. So you, you yeah. got a very eclectic collection there. So." Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about just uh, how your your reading habits. Yeah, so yeah, so I I uh, I think I, I blogged about this actually probably about five years ago that I was going to return to reading. I don't want to go uh, too far afield in this. Uh, I know this is a preaching podcast. I I'm pretty 
I, I'm not crazy about our educational system that forces kids to read like 500-page classics when they're in junior and senior high. I know it's because it's good literature. Mm. They just can't appreciate that it's good literature. Yeah. I sure couldn't. And so I was a kid that grew up that loved reading, and then the school system killed it. Yeah. Uh, and it was probably it wasn't the school system's fault per se. It was my immaturity. I just I just didn't want to read, and so I. I would only have to read Christian stuff, uh, and then as I got older and in the ministry, I only read Christian stuff, and I felt like, golly, I mean, I used to love reading, and so I just made a commitment to just read books that were just, you know, literature, uh, and so I do. I've probably read, I think I've, I'm on my 27th or 30th book I just finished a couple of days ago, um, and so I do read widely and broadly. I read nonfiction. I read a lot of, uh, I've read a lot of classics this past year, Fahrenheit 451, Moby Dick, Mock To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, books that, that some I had read in high school that I thought, man, wow, I thought I'd never pick this book up again. And now I see why it's the greatest book in modern English, uh, yeah. because I could appreciate it. Uh, I also heard a guy say, I don't want to, I, I, I'm not sure it's this certain person who said, so I'll just say one pastor said one time, if you want to improve your preaching, you need to just read books. You need to read novels uh, because it'll broaden your vocabulary, broaden your mindset. Uh, I, I think it's probably helped me pick up on story a little bit more. Yeah. Um, well, and the imagination, no, the way it sparks oh, your yeah. imagination. Ab dude, Matt, I'm glad you said that. Absolutely. If anything, what the Christian imagination needs is an injection of, of, of something more catalytic than what we currently have in our Christian offerings, and I use that term loosely. But I, I just think that it's one of the common graces that we have. There's good and bad in culture, and there's good and bad in literature, and often literature has a little bit of both. But if you're discerning, man, what a, what a way to grow your – it really is growing in formation. It's not the Bible or anything like that. I get it. But uh, no, I, I, uh, I, I tend to read a lot, um, and if anything, because uh, I felt like all I did was read Christian stuff. So I, I do try to read some theology. I, actually, I, I, I read a lot of theology. Right. Uh, I read stuff that really is trying to push me, stretch me, grow me. Uh, I, I, I want something that maybe even makes me uncomfortable. So uh, yeah. I've got favorite authors and favorite books, but uh, no, I, just, I finished the book a couple of days ago. I'm, I'm trying to think about what I want to do next. Yeah, that sounds fun. Well, yeah. let's, we'll talk some more about that. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, are we good now? This will be edited. We'll edit this all these. Oh yeah, I'm not worried about it. I've done yeah. enough of these. I get it. So uh, let's see. What do I say at the end? Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, no, no, no. Here's what yeah. you say. You're like Yancey. You're the greatest guy we've ever had ah, on this podcast. I've been talking. Fortunately, after you is D. A. Carson, Tim Keller, and John Piper. So you've yeah. never seen a lot of day. This is Matt Woodley with Monday Morning Preacher. I've been talking to Yancey. Arrington, author of Preaching That Moves People. Thanks a lot for being with us, Yancey. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I, I appreciate the work you guys do. God bless you for it. Uh, thanks. Okay. Yeah, so I just... This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.